0: Hey! How are you? It's good to see you. Thank- well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate you. <laughs> I want to start off today talking about just a couple of things that I'm very passionate about. Um, last thursday was a beautiful beautiful day for me as i watched the denver broncos <laughs> pummel the ravens in a smackdown that was awesome amen <laughs> i at least know where are the porters no amen from them all right All right, well, let me try this one. I love October. I love an event that takes place from October until it ultimately reaches its climactic moment of madness in March, when my favorite team is always at or near the top. Is Mark here? What what team is it? Duke. Duke. Y'all are a tough sell this morning. <laughs> let, me, let me expand and be a little more universal. There is, if, if you knew me, or if you knew my wife very well, it would not be very difficult to, to discern very quickly that we have a passion in our lives. I know Jamie and Don share our passion. I know Andrew and Amanda, if you're in here, you share our passion, and that passion is for, who said it? Disney World! World. Can I at least get a name in on that? I'm giving you my A game, come on! It's Disney World! That's Emma, a couple years ago. See, you didn't realize that I have you as a captive audience, so I've got 147 slides we're just gonna go through. <laughs> there we go. That, that, that was last year, Emma was Cinderella and um, Henley was, is that Aurora? Aurora. Aurora, yeah. Um, that, that, I just put that in because Jen is the photographer, but I actually shot that picture and I'm very proud of it. So, that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah? Yeah? Here's what I love about Disney. Disney tells a good story. I mean, you walk in the park and you are automatically moved into a different place. In fact, show the slide, Nick. You walk through this tunnel underneath this train tracks because Walt loved train tracks, and here it says, here you leave today and enter the world of yesterday, tomorrow and fantasy. I like that. So, we go to Disney World. It's one of our passions. We're not alone. I was doing a little research, and last year, 126 and a half million people attended or visited one of the Disney theme parks in America or around the world. And in fact, eight of the top 10 theme parks visited last year were Disney parks. So much so that number two, number three, and number four, if you added all of their visitor attendance, would not match how many people attended Disney. They just tell a good story. I mean, they they do it all the way down to the most minute detail. For example, you would not see a silver trash can in Frontierland because that would be out of place. The silver trash can goes in Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. It's futuristic. It's silver. It's, it's that way. You would not have a barbershop quartet singing in Adventureland because there is no adventure with a barbershop quartet. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Because barbershop quartets are on Main Street. Are you with me? They tell a story. Nothing is left undone because the story is the ultimate... It's of utmost importance because really we all love stories, don't we? I mean, stories are what get us going. They motivate us. They they inspire us to keep going when we want to give up. They motivate us to change if we're doing something wrong. Stories move us. They excite us. They calm us. They soothe us. We are people of stories. Stories do a great job of telling us things about ourselves that we might not like, but when we see it through a story, we're less defensive and more receptive to hear the truth behind the story. And that's why a lot of preachers use stories, um, not just because we want to show off Disney, but um, stories are an impactful tool for a pastor. You will probably not remember any point long-term out of most sermons. Um, I rarely would hop in a car after church with Jen and say, wow, I'll tell you what, that second fill-in-the-blank on point B was out of this world. I loved that word. But there have been many times when we've gotten in the car and I've said, wow, wow. That story about this and that, that was powerful. That was, that was huge. That makes me look at things differently. Are you with me? Jesus was known for using parables. And really, parables are simply short stories that give a moral or spiritual lesson in a way that we can learn. And so we're starting this sermon series... Once upon a time, the other tagline is, seeing ourselves in the parables, and this week we're talking about the wheat and the weeds. That's why we have this beautiful setup. Can I give a, can I get a, Pastor Matt built this monstrous frame. Mighty fine job, and we had multiple people from our church let us borrow their mirrors for this display. But basically what we're hoping is during the course of the next couple of weeks we are going to start to see ourselves in these parables. And our prayer is that it will motivate us to change if we need to change. It will encourage us to continue if we need to continue. But but the goal is that each sermon we step back and we say where am I in this story? Which character am I most like? But beyond that Which character am I called to be? What has God called me to be in this story? And then I want to live my life in accordance with that. But Jesus didn't use parables all the time. Looking at Matthew 13, it even said, I mean, Matthew, Jesus is doing all these parables, and then Matthew throws in his commentary. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. So this was a very important tool for Jesus. The using of parables. So so it's our prayer today that you will see yourself in the parable, that I will see myself in the parable, and that our church collectively can see ourselves so that we can grow to be more like Jesus. Amen? If you would, I'm going to ask you, we don't always do this, but would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 13. And we're going to go through a couple of parables, kind of shoot through them, and then we'll come back and talk about it. I'm going to start with verse 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came and told him, "Sir, the field where you planted, all that good seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done it," the farmer exclaimed. "Well, shall we pull out the weeds?" they asked. He replied, "No. you'll hurt the weed if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will let the harvesters, I will tell the harvesters, to sort out the weeds and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it, come, it becomes the largest of garden plants and grows into a tree where birds can come and find shelter in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast used by a woman making bread. Even though she used a very large amount of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when he was speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled the prophecy that said, I will speak to you in parables. I will explain mysteries hidden since the creation of the world. Then leaving the crowd outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please um, explain the story of the weeds in the field. All right, Jesus said. I, the Son of Man, am the farmer who plants good, she- good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who come, who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are separated out and burned, so will it be at the end of the world. I, the Son of Man, will send my angels, and they will remove from my kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And they will throw them into a furnace and burn them. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the godly will shine like the sun, In their father's kingdom, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field and to get the treasure too. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant on the lookout for choice pearls, When he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Father, I am your servant. I pray that you will take the words that you've given me and that they will um, grow deep into the hearts of each person here. God, may we hear with ears that can hear and understand and listen, and may we respond to this grace that you're telling us about in this passage, and we pray this all in the name of your wonderful Son, and through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we have these parables. There were seven, I think I did five of them, there were seven in all in this one chapter, just spitfire, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. So logically, one can assume that an important thing that Jesus wants to talk about is the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk about it. He starts off this section saying the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. And most commentators would say that the farmer spreading the seed would be the spreading of the word of God it'd go into the ground, the, the wheat comes up, and that's us, and the devil comes, and he throws in the weeds. I mean, it's a pretty simple picture, right? Um, not, nothing too crazy. The thing that I love about it is that Jesus is throwing out this seed, and, and the weed is growing, which is exactly what it was created to do it is doing exactly what it was created to do where it was created to do it. It is this wheat that God has ordained that the father, that the farmer planted deliberately for a purpose. Now, then he says, the kingdom of heaven is also like a mustard seed. So here we're going from one planting illustration to another planting illustration, and we have this mustard seed, and a lot of people will tell you, well, we now know that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. That's really not the point. Um, And if we're going to get stuck there, we're going to have a long day. No, it it is not the smallest seed, but mustard seed plants, um, I've been told, bloom everywhere along the hillsides of Israel. And it is the smallest crop that someone in Israel would gather. So we still have this gathering, we still have this... um, farming type of analogy but this mustard seed they they vary in size I've been told that you'll see this hillside of mustard seed plants and there'll be this shrubbery and then all of a sudden in the middle of it there will be one mustard seed plant that is just feet above the rest it is just exploded with mustard goodness and so we have this huge mustard seed And this would be very similar. When the people heard this, they might think back of Ezekiel. In chapter 17, the people of Israel were considered, um, they were were likened to cedar trees, where the birds of the nations would rest and and find their place. And so we have the birds being the Gentiles, all these other people, but the cedar tree is Israel. And then Jesus kind of turns, it's like, cedar tree, no. Mustard seed, yes. Because the kingdom of heaven is starting in a very small place, but it is going to grow. It is going to expand. It is going to take over. This mustard seed is an analogy of the kingdom of God that is spreading to all the nations. Um, Another place that I think of right away is Isaiah 11, when it says, but out of the stump of David's family will shoot a branch talking about jesus coming from this stump and and so they would know isaiah they would know ezekiel and they would start to see okay so this is the beginning of something something that's coming out of something small but it's going to take over the world and the analogy is that the kingdom of heaven is an external ever-expanding presence which is perfectly in the will of god and then he says the kingdom of god is like leaven I am no chef. Anyone that has um, tasted my food, well, they will agree with with me that I am no chef. But I understand a little bit. And from what I understand, it doesn't take a lot of leaven when it's mixed in the dough to infiltrate the whole batch. Is that right? Any, Any cooks in here? Am I right? And so this little bit of leaven that is added to this mass begins to grow, begins to come alive, begins to expand, beca- begins to change the entire bowl of dough. And so we have, what most commentators would say is going on here is we have this analogy of the kingdom of heaven is like something, if, when we ingest the word of God, it begins to grow inside us. And when we allow it to, it takes over every part of our life. As the kingdom of heaven expands and grows and is alive within us, we begin to be more and more like what the kingdom of heaven looks like. So I love it because you've got... Well, let's just stop. Just to be sure we're clear, when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven we're not talking about streets of gold pearly gates somewhere north and you know i'm gonna have a mansion it's gonna be five stories it's gonna be you know gold and bronze i don't know you're gonna have something we're not talking about that we're not talking about it then and there we're talking about what god is doing right now right here in this world that is what jesus is referring to when he says the kingdom of heaven when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he is saying, it is here. I am ushering in this kingdom, and you are now part of it. So we have this mustard seed, this, this outward expanding. The kingdom of heaven is expanding to all the world, including Jews, Gentiles, all nations, all people. And we have the kingdom of God as this leaven, which is infiltrating into each one of our lives and is changing us and is working us over and is more and more creating in us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. The kingdom of heaven is here and it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do in the world and in my life. Somehow, this kingdom, which is outside the scope of humanity, outside time and space, has infiltrated into our cosmic world and the creator of the universe has come into our presence and is creating, even now, the kingdom of heaven. That's huge! That changes the way I see a lot of stuff. It changes the things I do. It changes the places I go, the things I look at on the internet, the things I say to my wife or to my coworkers. It changes everything because the kingdom of God is here. Now, here's what I find interesting. Kingdom of God is like a farmer. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Kingdom of God is like leaven. And what do the disciples do? Bible says the crowds went away, the disciples went into the house, and I'm paraphrasing now, but they basically said, okay, Jesus, I'm digging this whole kingdom, 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 awesome, but could you come back around to that whole burning thing? Well, let's go back. What do you mean by the, the, the weeds, and it's almost as if they're saying, okay, Jesus, this kingdom thing is awesome, but I want to be sure that I'm at least doing the minimum, and I'm not going to end it. I want to be sure that you recognize me as wheat when the time comes. So, so, so what's the least thing? I mean, I like this. I like this. Inward, outward. It's awesome. But the fire thing kind of caught my ear when you were talking, Jesus. So, so what's the baseline here? Because I definitely want to be seen as wheat. And isn't that where we find ourselves so many times? God, I love you, but um, if it's all right with you, I'd... I'd prefer to just love you enough to make sure that you recognize me as we. my kids are healthy, and maybe if you could throw in a vacation every now and then, I'd, that'd be good. That's about how much I want to be involved. What's the minimum? We ask that question all the time. I always get frustrated when I go to um, a takeout place, and then they have the tip line, and I'm like, do I tip, do I not tip? What's the minimum I tip? I don't want to look cheap, but... But I'm driving here to get the food. I mean, so what's the minimum? Um, when when Emma was in soccer, you know, the the question was, what does a soccer parent do? What's the minimum? Do we bring oranges every week? Or do we just bring it every couple of weeks? Because we don't want to overdo it, but we don't want to look like you're the parents that never bring the oranges for the soccer kids. We don't want to be that. But so what's the minimum? Okay, I, I know that that I'm supposed to give money to the church, but but really what's If you can give me a a percentage, what's the minimum I can do to check that off my list? Am I the only one that finds myself there? I feel like I live so much of my life minimally. I have a friend, his name is Todd, I won't say his last name, although I can't imagine he would ever listen to this podcast, but he was my friend in high school, and we took government together. So it's a sophomore class that we took our senior year because, well, we were, I was being minimal back then, I guess, as well, being lazy. Um, So we're getting ready for our final exam in government. You know, how old do you have to be the president, blah, blah, blah. And I studied, you know, a couple hours, not a lot, because I kind of... I got it. I, I halfway paid attention for the semester. Todd, not so much. He did not pay attention at all. He, he, he did all right. Um, I guess he did good enough to uh, achieve his goal. Well, he walks in the day of the final exam, and I'm looking over my notes, you know, just you know, double checking and that kind of stuff, and he's just got the big grin on his face. Sits down. <laughs> hey, Todd. Hey. Did you study? Not a bit. You didn't even study for the final? Nope. What are you doing? He said, I figured it out. All I have to do is make a seven on my final exam, and I'll pass the class with a 70. (laughs) Are you kidding me? No, this is awesome. (laughs) Todd, you're an idiot. (laughs) No, you don't get it. I didn't waste all that time studying. All I got to do is get a seven. I can get a seven. So the teacher passes out the test. And I start on my test because I studied. And Todd is not writing anything down. He's looking through, and he's, he's doing this kind of thing. He's just going down this test, just looking with his finger. Um, excuse me. Yes, Todd? I'm adding up your points, and there are only 90 points on this test. You know, and I'm thinking, Todd, you're wasting time, come on. And the teacher, in a smart-aleck way, says, well, then I guess you get 10 points for writing your name. To which Todd... See, <laughs> T-O, <laughs> he wrote his name and went to sleep. That is not an exaggeration. <laughs> He went to sleep and passed with a 70. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> now, that's an extreme situation, but it can look different, differently for each of us. But with busy lives and busy schedules, and so many things on our calendar, if we're not careful, we can begin saying, what's the minimum I can do in certain areas and survive this week? And unfortunately for many of us, many times, loving Jesus, living a godly life, living in the kingdom of heaven these things end up on the list of what can I do minimally and just get by. And so we have this story. I'm so thankful for a loving Jesus because if I would have talked about the mustard seed and the leaven and the outward and the inward and then they came back to, yeah, but tell me about this burning thing. I would have been like, Back side of the head. Come on, guys, get with it. But Jesus is so loving; he goes back and he says, "All right, this is what it means." You know, the people of God are the good seed. The devil is the person, the bad seed. Are, you know, and he goes through, and he explains the story again, and he doesn't sugarcoat it. In fact, he makes it even worse. He he goes from burning to there will be burning and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean. He doesn't sugarcoat the fact that there is an ultimate judgment. And we shouldn't sugarcoat that either. We do believe that there is a day when we will all give an account for what we have done. But then Jesus continues and he says, but you know, it's almost like he says, you're getting stuck on the wrong thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, It's like a treasure that that a stranger finds in a field. She's not even looking for it. She doesn't even know it's there. She stumbles across it, and what does she do? She does whatever it takes to get it. And and then he says, and, and the kingdom of heaven, it's like this merchant who's looking for this pearl, he's genuinely seeking out this prized possession. And he finds it. He finds what he's looking for. And the Bible says he sells everything, everything to buy it. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, you're getting caught on the there and then. When there's so much of the kingdom of heaven here and now, when are you going to realize what you have? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not some pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, although that's not a bad song. The kingdom of God is a here, it's a now. It has a face, it has a name, it has a place. When we live in the kingdom of heaven, we live life differently and that doesn't begin when we die that begins here and now because why would you ever find a treasure and say oh I just can't wait till I'm on my deathbed and the very last thing I'm going to do is write a check and purchase that land no one would do that no one in their right mind because when you have found what you have been searching for when you have found what maybe you even haven't been searching for obvious response is, do what it takes to get it. The kingdom of heaven is here. I wonder what it would be like to live in that grace. To say, God, I don't know about tomorrow, but today You are not the minimum, you are the maximum. I I want to work on computers differently. I want to teach children differently. I want to bake differently. I want to drive down the road and not have road rage differently. (laughs) You know what I mean. Uh, What would that look like? So many of us are just saying, God, I've got a lot on my plate i just want the minimum Uh, if you're okay with that today i'd just be happy doing the minimum when jesus is saying you're still not getting it that's not what it's about you're trying to do the minimum for then and there when you can have the fullness of it here and now and so i was trying to think what would this look like if i could give you an example and so i'm gonna have lisa come up This is Lisa, if you don't know. (laughs) she She has agreed to help me. All right, Lisa, bear with me. We haven't had time to to prepare this. How long have you been playing the piano? Lisa plays the piano. Can we get her mic on for her? Lisa, how long have you played the piano? I've played the piano piano for for 22 years. 22 years, good grief. And you have, you, you have a degree, yeah. something related to music. I have um, a bachelor's in music education with a minor in church music from SNU. And I have a master's of music in clarinet performance from Oklahoma City University. So what I hear you saying, <laughs> why are we laughing at Oklahoma? <laughs> so what I hear you saying is music isn't just something that um, is a minimal part of your life. It has become part of your hobby, your passion, your job, your ministry. Music has become a priority. Right. Interesting, I like it. Now not everyone has the same conviction that Lisa has. So I was thinking Lisa could maybe play a little something of what it would be like, what it's like, what it might sound like when we live life minimally. recognize it, it's a doxology, yeah? A couple of weeks ago, Matt was talking about the songs of our life, living our lives as a doxology to God. I like it. What do you think? But the problem is, that's just a melody. I mean, it's pretty man she's hitting one note at a time and there are 87 other keys on that piano and I'm not saying she has to hit them all but she really is doing just about as little as she can do on that piano right now isn't she she's getting the job done and I wonder if that's a lot like us God I love you I want to go to church I'll even bring my kids to the teen group even though the pastor's crazy um, sorry the, the intro I had to find some way uh, but I just don't want to do too much God I mean if it's all right with you um, I'll take a little sliver of the kingdom here and I'll, I'll just bank the rest for later what if instead we started to say God I want all of the kingdom of heaven that you are willing to give me today. I want it now. I want to be spiritually greedy. Give me as much of the kingdom of heaven as you can pour on me. I I wonder if it might sound a little more like this. sudden the minimum sounds pretty weak. What if we would live our lives where we say, God, I don't want the minimum. I want the movement. I want the melodies. I want the harmonies. I want the progressions going through my life. And let's take it one step further. What if we became a community of people living the kingdom of heaven right now? What if our lives corporately became a praise, a doxology for the Most High God? I wonder if if people driving down the road would be driving in their car and they would sense something. There's something in that building. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. I wonder if we would, as a church, become so much more than we could be individually if we all said, God, I don't want the minimum. Bring the kingdom of heaven here. Bring it to me and bring it to everyone in this church and our community. I I wonder if it would sound something like this. Even compared to the individual giving it all. That's different, isn't it? That's going somewhere. That has a purpose, that has a focus, that has a drive, that has a calling, that is deliberate. What if our church could be that kind of church? Paul, what if you were that kind of guy? Mary, what if you were that kind of woman? Diane, what about you? David, Jackie, what if we all said, God, use us. I'm taking care of me, but use us. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, God, may it be. I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me. There there are some of you today that do not have a relationship with God at all. And that's okay. You are welcome here. But now's your time. If you want to know this creator that has brought in the kingdom of heaven, this God outside of time and space that has decided to step into humanity and reinvent a newer creation, now's your time. You can do it where you are, you can do it at the altar. There are others of you, I have a feeling more of us would fall in this category, that have said... today maybe you want to say God I've been holding back I've been letting other things take priority which has automatically pushed you down the list forgive me God set my priorities straight I want to be a doxology that is more than just the melody now is your time in your hearts in your minds in your seats at the altars Make it happen right now. God is waiting on you. And as a church, especially in this time of transition, the kingdom of heaven does not wait simply because we don't have a pastor. The kingdom of heaven does not wait simply because we do not have a pastor. We have a calling, we have a purpose, we have a focus. It is time, church, to step up and live a corporately doxological life. Is that a word? I've got, I've got the theologian official nod. A doxological life corporately. So maybe you want to say, God, I'm just one person, but I'm part of this machine, and I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be the leaven That starts to make it happen here. I invite you to pray. I invite you to come down to the altars. But I think that the way I want to close is I'd love for us us to just simply sing together the doxology. So Lisa's going to cut out, and we're just going to raise our voices. But would you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow.